Welcome to the podcast, How to Run and Grow Your Solo Patent Practice with Anant Kataria and Fez Wahid of Sagacious IP. This is a one-of-its-kind podcast focused on existing and aspiring solo or small patent practitioners. Interviewing successful solo or small patent practitioners and bringing to you proven, actionable insights to start, build, and grow your patent practice. Learn firsthand how to acquire, serve, and retain clients for long-term success. All this while effectively juggling the multiple roles that one has to play as a solo or small patent practitioner. If you run a solo or small patent practice or are planning to start one, whether you're currently in a mid-size or big law firm or coming fresh out of law school, this podcast series will help you learn from the successful ones who have faced and overcome the challenges you are dealing with. So let's get into the podcast with your hosts, Anant Kataria and Fez Wahid. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of How to Run and Grow a Solo Patent Practice. Our guest for today is Guy Tucker from Guy Tucker Patents. He runs his practice from Somerset, California. He holds a BS and MS uh, degrees in engineering, science and mechanics and biomedical engineering. And he has over 27 years of experience in the patent field. He's worked as a patent examiner at the USPTO and at law firms and in the in-house environment. So it's a broad expertise. It's like all, all, you, all you can want to have from someone to learn from them in the IP field. So his current focus is independent inventors and small companies and helping them protect their patent rights. Uh, from here, let's take the discussion forward with him and learn from his experiences on how to run and grow a solo patent practice. Uh, Sky, uh, warm welcome to the show. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. Uh, well, our pleasure to have you here. So, uh, Guy, tell us a bit about Guy Ticker Patents. Yeah, I mean, you gave a, a pretty good summary of uh, my life there, <laughs> my, my life in the patent world. I do um, have a lot of experience. I've been doing this a long time. I uh, went straight out of college to the patent office, where I worked for eight years as a patent examiner. And that's where I gained, I guess, my, my fundamental and baseline knowledge of the patent process from the perspective of a patent examiner. And then I, I moved to California in 1999 and started working at a law firm. Actually, when you leave the patent office, you are barred from working in your technology area for two years, oh. uh, just as, as a rule, kind of as a way of preventing the appearance of impropriety and conflict. So that actually turned out to be a bit of a blessing in disguise because I was a biomedical engineer by training and uh, worked in orthopedic devices and diagnostic tools at patent office examining patents. But I couldn't work in that area for two years after leaving. So I went to a law firm that worked in semiconductor manufacturing processes and really expanded my, my knowledge base. And uh, you know, our principal client was Applied Materials. So mm -hmm. I, I worked largely on, you know, learning the semiconductor business, <laughs> which was certainly interesting and very different than biomedical engineering, but it, you know, it kind of expanded my universe. After those two years were up, I went to a startup in San Jose, Silicon Valley, that was kind of a, a cross between the two. It was called Immersion Corporation, and it was 
a virtual reality company that that simulated medical procedures. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a nice little cross, and it got me <laughs> exposed to the startup world and in, in Silicon Valley. And from there, I went to another larger company that was later bought by a Fortune 500 company. So I worked in-house there, being involved in all aspects of the patent world, including litigation and oppositions and lots of foreign practice. And from there, I went back to the law firm environment where I worked for about seven years, pretty much focusing on patent prosecution. And 2017, decided it was, it was time to start my own practice. And that's when my wife and I moved to the country. We had been in the Bay Area. We moved a couple hours away, bought some land, and now enjoy life here in the country, working for my own clients. So I've, I've built my practice around helping small inventors, independent, uh, or small businesses and independent inventors, um, just because it's such an underserved section of the, you know, the client base. It's very difficult when you are a startup or an independent inventor to get quality patent prosecution. Even if you can afford to go to a large firm, you usually get passed off to, you know, a a very junior associate if you don't have, you know, million dollars worth of work. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of felt bad for this section of the clientele and wanted to help. Um, it's certainly not as lucrative as helping the others and working in the, in the other areas that I have worked and the other environments that I've worked in, but it's much more rewarding and it's kind of, you know, breathes some new life into, into my practice and, and what I do. Cause I, I get to learn about new inventions every day and meet new people. And it's definitely, you know, been the, the most rewarding and satisfying portion of my career. I am blessed to have uh, kind of the experiences that I've had that put me in a position to be able to to help the small inventors because I, I can be very efficient and mm. um, it allows me to be able to to give them affordable representation that's still I'd I like to think high quality. This is really good. In fact, I believe as an overall package, you know, living in the country, having your own land and, and working with these small practices. Yeah, it's like a breath of fresh air into the entire practice. It's that's it exactly sounds right. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I'm, I'm sure my wife would say I'm, I'm much happier as well. So. <laughs> All around good. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. I'm sure our listeners will take a lot of uh, good pointers from this, <laughs> from this, <laughs> uh, you know, quick introduction. Okay. You know, my next question was uh, supposed to be, you know, that you've worked at USPTO law firms and corporate environments and and you've seen it all before setting into a solo practice. So how has your experience been when practicing IP independently? Uh, a, a lot of it you've already answered. Uh, if, if there's anything anything you know else, uh, any more information you, uh, you might want for our listeners to have about sure. your independent practice, yeah. Sure, yeah. I think the world of patent law and patent prosecution is one of the most unique in that there's it's so hard to get your arms around the entire process 
and it really takes years and years of experience before you can see all aspects and how every single word that you put in a patent application or in a response to the patent office or certainly in a claim, how every single word can have certain ramifications. And until you've been on the opposite sides of all of these facets, both prosecution from an examining standpoint and prosecution from an applicant standpoint, but also litigation and, um, you know, reexaminations and oppositions and, and everything and see the arguments that can be made by both sides on everything. It's hard to really maximize your patent protection when you're drafting that application. But to really draft a good patent application and to understand everything that an applicant is going to have to go through, it really helps to have seen the entire process from both sides of the equation, both in the application process and the litigation process, licensing, and you know, even doing things like diligence and, and buying other companies. When you have that perspective, it, you make much more valuable contributions to the application process when you're working for, for your client. Um, and I think that's you know, really what I kind of uniquely offer especially mm. for the for the you know value and the and the price that I they offer my services the patenting process is very non-intuitive and it's very important to me to make sure my clients fully understand the process mm-hmm. and what they need to understand about it and review and have expectations that are in line with reality mm-hmm that's the most important thing to me as I'm taking on new clients is to take the time to make sure they understand exactly what they're getting into, understand the process so that they can be the most helpful and, you know, understand when they might be wasting their money. Guy, this is uh, very interesting. Uh, Learning about how you are running your practice from uh, a remote countryside location. I'm sure this is, this will sound very interesting to our listeners as well. Uh, one one question that I have as uh, as I start to visualize this situation is, okay, if I take my practice and I, I go to a place where I can uh, have a good life, what about the other resources that I'm used to? Maybe paralegals, uh, you know, uh, drafts people uh, or, you know, infrastructure, IT infrastructure or other kinds of infrastructure. So how, how do you, do you face any challenges there? And if yes, then how do you manage those? And, you know, what's your recommendation on that? Um, yes, that can be a big challenge. I fortunately have my personal practice set up where I do everything myself mm-hmm. with the exception of drawings. Uh, and I do use patent drawing company. Dot com for all of my patent services and have been very fortunate to have found them and have such a good relationship with them. Um, but everything else would be a challenge if I didn't do it myself. Fortunately, like I said, for the way that I'm, I'm set up, I can do everything on the internet. That was, that was a large challenge when I first moved up here because I only had satellite internet. I was so remote and it was very slow. And that made things very difficult. And I would have to drive into town if I ever needed some, some high-speed internet. But I have, you know, that was only for a few months. I since have 
I've been lucky enough to have some high-speed internet move into the area. So now I'm, I'm fully up and running and can pretty much do anything here that I, that I need to do. I also travel into the, the Bay Area a couple of times a month. Um, I have a few clients there that I, I do meet with and see what they're doing. Um, but I also have clients from all across the country and uh, even outside the country. And those, you know, we do everything by internet. We do video conferencing if necessary, but most things are just, you know, exchange of files and, and telephone conversations when necessary. And, and you know, I have uh, had a very good experience with that. I certainly file everything myself with the patent office electronically, but also have, you know, a post office down the road if I need to mail something. And um, this would be much more of a challenge for someone that's setting up a larger practice where they do need the use of paralegals or, you know, multiple practitioners that need to communicate with one another, it would definitely, you know, add some difficulties. But if you're for a solo practitioner that has good internet access, um, then it's, you know, and also, you know, it's a, it's harder to attract clients when you, when you're out here, you have to have an online presence to mm -hmm. attract those clients. But if you if you're fortunate enough to have all of those things, it's a rewarding way to to do it. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, so, so you you mentioned uh, about attracting clients, and you know when you're remote, then having an online presence is very helpful. So with that, I relate to this other interesting aspect of your practice, which uh, you found uh, is your Upwork profile, and it seems to be quite active and and uh, has quite good reviews and earnings over there. So how did this, you know, came into existence? How did you think about, okay, let me build this profile and how did you market it and, you know, build it? That's quite interesting. I'm sure people would be interested <laughs> to learn about that. Yeah, sure. And actually, I, I'm also lucky enough that, that most of my clients come from people I knew and from word of mouth and repeat clients, uh, some former clients. So that's the majority of my business. Mm -hmm. But for... The newly acquired uh, clients, which, you know, I like to keep a fresh stream of, of new faces and new ideas coming in, um, then I have found that Upwork is it's a very useful tool. I, I knew about Upwork from using it as, you know, a, uh, as a client uh, myself, doing different things like, you know, getting tax help and, and some things that I'm not an expert in that I needed to, to use. So I was aware of, of the freelancing service that they provide and decided to give it a try as, uh, you know, a freelancer that was offering my services. And it's really worked out very well. It's a fantastic way to safeguard yourself from a payment standpoint with new clients from both aspects, actually, from also the client and, uh, standpoint and, and my, uh, I don't know, um, if anyone out there is not familiar with, with the system, it's it, Upwork is a system of matching freelancers with those that need the freelance work. So I simply have a bit of an advertisement about myself that says who I am and what I do. And anyone that comes on with a patent-related project posts their job and I can, you know, give them bids on on that job and they can hire me if they like. And when they hire me, they put a certain amount of money in escrow with Upwork. And that way you're, you're guaranteed that the money is there and available. 
and then the client releases that money from escrow once the job is completed to their satisfaction. So that's nice because whenever you take on a new client, it's you know you you have this payment issue of you know do you make them pay up front in which case the client is often you know a little nervous about doing or do you do all of the work and then hope to get payment from a client that you've never actually met except by email and so upwork um, alleviates those concerns now it's not an inexpensive process the upwork takes a cut on both ends both from the, the client and the and my standpoint so it's you know it does have its downsides but that that cut seems to be worth it for the most part and is it's a really great way to find new clients that aren't you know just you know combing the internet and mm-hmm. looking to scam someone that's very interesting so uh what would be your uh, you know let's say top three advice for on, on upwork specifically like so if I were to go there and do something similar on Upwork, what would you advise me to do? If if there's any specific advice there, I, yeah, I'm sure that there may be, it might be very generic, you know, once I go there and it's pretty straightforward. Uh, but if there is something you might want to. In terms of Upwork specific advice, the most important thing is, you know, they generate a success rating, mm-hmm. which is very important for mm-hmm. getting new clients that don't know you. Mm-hmm. A, a you know a comfort level with mm-hmm. what your success is mm-hmm. and their algorithm for generating that is a little strange and they're not very forthcoming with with what that is so you mm-hmm. you kind of have to constantly keep your eye on it mm-hmm. i personally have everything set up on a fixed fee basis i do not charge mm-hmm. hourly mm-hmm. Um, and the fixed fee model doesn't seem to work quite as well in the Upwork algorithm as the hourly model. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. those those that have set up an hourly system that are like each week getting a certain payment for a certain number of hours mm-hmm. tends to, it, it appears to me, make that Upwork rating a little inflated over someone like me, say where I, you know, I might work for six weeks and get a $1,500 payment at the end of that. And so I, I do have to keep my eye on, on that rating and make sure that it's, you know, staying up where and I'm going to continue to get clients to believe in me. And, and it does fluctuate a little bit. There are user reviews. And after you finish a contract with someone, the user gets to leave comments that the public can see. And those for me are always you know, tend to be very good and positive, um, mm-hmm. but they, mm-hmm. they don't seem to factor into the rating too much. It seems to be, <laughs> the rating seems to be more about the, the payments and the completion of contracts and things like that. So that, that can be a challenge on Upwork and mm-hmm. just something you have to keep your eye on from a, you know, a practitioner standpoint. But um, I do think, you know, this kind of goes into recommendations for setting up your practice that are, you know, generic beyond just Upwork. Yeah, I think that's uh, that advice about that advice about Upwork's rating and how it could be something that you need to uh, keep an eye on because it's not very transparent. That's that's actually good. Yeah, that's a good advice here. In in general, 
that's I've taken a lot of questions on Upwork because that sounded so interesting to me. But apart from that, from your experience overall of setting up this solo practice now and being involved in different practices before, what would be your one most important recommendation to someone who has a new practice or is thinking of starting a new practice? The most important would be, that's tough because there's a lot of things to consider, but you certainly need to have the experience to be able to handle your own practice. A, a huge portion of my work comes from clients who have used a less experienced, less expensive practitioner to start with. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they're coming, they're coming to me to fix things and everything can be, you know, way cheaper and more, um, beneficial and higher quality. If you, if, you know, you just start off with that experienced practitioner. Mm. And mm. so I, you know, if, for someone that doesn't have the experience, I would highly recommend getting it. You know, there's, there are law firms that are constantly hiring. Not everyone has the opportunity to be a patent examiner, of course, but if you have the, that type of uh, opportunity, then that's a, it's a great way. You know, I generally tell people they need seven years of working in the, the patent world before they can even think about representing someone um, without the assistance of, you know, partners in a firm or, or someone with that experience. So make sure you have the experience before you start your own practice. And then when you start your own practice, focus on what you're good at. There are lots of things that you can do within the patent world, whether it's prosecution, whether it's opinion work, whether it's searches, you know, all of these different areas. And it's best if you figure out what you're good at and, and focus on, on that. It really helps with efficiency, helps with generating clients. And, you know, it minimizes your chances of, of making big mistakes. Uh, and, then, and then once set up, the most important thing, and this is, you know, if you ask clients across the board, inventors across the board that have to deal with patent practitioners, their number one complaint is going to always be lack of transparency with fees. Nearly everyone that gets involved ends up not understanding what things are going to cost both from the practitioner fee structure and the the patent office fee structure and they get frustrated so i spend a lot of time i offer every one of my clients a one hour free consultation and a lot of that free consultation is both discussing the process and discussing the costs and the fees so that they fully understand it and i have a very detailed two-page fee schedule that I give to every client and it just completely outlines every fee that could arise that almost certainly will arise from both what I'm paid and what we have to pay the patent office. And it's, you know, it just, just that upfront transparency is great at preventing surprises and keeps the clients happy. And you don't, you don't want a client, that doesn't understand what things are going to cost. It's, it's not an inexpensive process and you want them to be able to finish the process and be able to budget along the way. I have 
with my own fee structure, set it up since I'm representing, you know, small businesses and startups, I've set it up where most of the larger fees are deferred till later in the process mm-hmm. and try to make the upfront fees as small as possible. Mm-hmm. Just because that's generally when new inventors and startups have the least amount of money, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and um, and it's worked out really well. It's, uh, it kind of helps everyone, but everyone. I do need all of my clients to understand that there are going to be down the road additional fees and costs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's that, and then of course, just getting licensed and insured is an absolute must for. Mm-hmm anyone getting into uh, into the business this is great uh, i really like both the points of advice in fact the first one was so simple straightforward but yet so useful just have experience before you start practicing in, in independently it's it's a straightforward advice but it's it's very valuable and as a potential when i put myself in the shoes of a consumer here i totally see value in that yeah thank you so much Thanks for an inspiring talk, Guy. I'm sure the practices you've shared will help our listeners uh, tremendously. In case our listeners have any questions uh, for you, how can they contact you? Yes, yeah, certainly. I'd be happy to, to help anyone, and especially if anyone is you know, getting started. I'm happy to give them any advice. And if anyone is an uh, inventor looking for representation, I'm happy to offer my, my one-hour free consultation. Like I mentioned, and I can be reached at gtpatents at gmail.com is my email address. And I have a website, guytuckerpatents.com, which has links to the email and to resume and things like that. It's very basic, but uh, just kind of some background information about me. But certainly the email address, gtpatents at gmail.com is the best way to get started. Perfect. Uh, thank you so much, Guy, for uh, for being here and sharing your valuable inputs for our listeners. We really appreciate it. And it was a pleasure having you here. The pleasure is mine. It's a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the podcast, How to Run and Grow Your Solo Patent Practice, with your hosts Anant Kataria and Fez Wahid from Sagacious IP. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate it and listen to more episodes in the series. For more information about supporting your practice with external resources, write to us at info at sagaciousresearch.com. Please do note that the contents of this podcast were intended for general informational purposes only. The views of the guests and hosts were their personal views and do not represent Sagacious IP. The facts of every legal matter are unique, and the content of this podcast should not be considered as offering legal advice for your specific legal situation. The preceding information may be considered attorney advertisement and does not establish an attorney-client relationship.